gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Ethan Bartlett, and this is my guest, Michael Lilienthal. And we're going to talk about... That's me! And we're going to talk about books, but not about scotch. Guest talk says hello, tells a joke. (laughs) Oh, uh, hello, Michael. How are you? Please share a joke with us or thoughts on politics, it says in the script. I don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) You don't think so? No politics? I mean... I mean, you can. Like, I'm not here to... I thought... I thought our whole podcast today was going to be about politics. Okay, it is, but, but pretend 7th century politics that are definitely oh. very different from ours and have no reflections of our current or recent it, past in any way, shape, it, or form. What? I don't I don't know. I don't know if I believe you. Oh, really? On any you think I might have been being yeah. sarcastic? <sighs> oh, sar- sar- is that a thing? Sarcasm? It's new. You wouldn't understand, probably. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I bet it sounds like it's something that would go over my head. It's as new as that the joke about it being new is. <laughs> Since there has been sarcasm, there has been sarcasm about sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, so we're we're here. We are. I we mean, are. The script that We're I here. read. I mean, that's that's a that's a big uh, you know positive statement right there. Frankly, We're here. these days, yes. Um, <laughs> the script that I read was correct in that we are going to talk about books, and we are going to not talk about scotch. Specifically, the scotch we're going to not talk about, for one of us anyway. Oh. Is old Pultney. 12-year-old single malt scotch whiskey. That is what I will be drinking. Michael, Mm -hmm. what will you be drinking? Well, my old Pultney hasn't come in the mail yet, so I am going to be drinking Oban 14-year single malt scotch whiskey. Excellent. Uh, I'm a little jealous because I've had old Pultney before and I haven't had Oban before, but Ah. uh, maybe next time we'll swap. Maybe I'll... Use this as an oh, excuse sure. to go out and buy some open. And there then, you uh, go. Uh, yeah. Then we can rate both. Yeah. And that'll be a thing. Uh, excellent. So, gentle listener, for your uh, information's sake, I guess, um, we are once again recording this thing remotely because of the world. And um, <laughs> uh, so we tried to coordinate scotches as we have done with, I would say, a 50 to 75% success rate in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I tried to pick a scotch, and this is not the only reason, but I tried to pick a scotch I thought it would be easy for Michael to find. And it turned out it was the most difficult scotch for Michael to find. <laughs> Uh, I thought it would be easy to find too. You told me what it was, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen that on the shelf before." Yeah, it's like, and everywhere around me had none of it. it yeah, like Old Pultney is—it's not like your Glen Livets or your Glen Fittich or whatever, where it's like literally every liquor store has it, or they can't be a liquor store. But I would say it's like right. the next rung of difficulty up. Like it's not that far mm-hmm. up the the ladder of difficulty. Um, 
But, you know, for whatever reason, Michael lives in an old Pulteney fanatic enclave. Uh, <laughs> and how could either of us have known that? So Michael is drinking Oban. Yeah. I'm drinking old Pulteney. You'll just, listen, I can hear you all writing your hate mail already. You'll just have to deal. Just, yeah, just save it. You know, send it, send it to the actor who's playing the new Captain America. He hasn't had enough. <laughs> oh man, I wish I could banter with you about the whole Falcon and Winter Soldier thing, but I haven't watched any of it. I mean, just know that the actor who portrays the new Captain America has gotten a lot of hate mail, and it makes me mad. <laughs> well, that's a very that's that's an entirely other podcast. I feel like <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Which I would listen to, but I am not qualified oh, to sure. contribute to at this time. Uh, anyway, um, Michael and I are salivating over our bottles of scotch, so that means that we need to have my <laughs> wife... I did say salivating and not French kissing, but <laughs> I appreciate sort of the attempt at... It's not even yes-anding, it's just more like yesing. Um <laughs> Anyway, Karen, please save us from this and read the rules. Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three, Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. Uh, with that, we shall pour the scotch. And... Slancha. I need to introduce you to a new toast that was created by my children because we said um, scumps to them once and they have started to say to one another and to us skunk wait wait we're allowed to talk about what you just talked about right oh sure is scumps a real toast i mean it's in sleeping beauty so it must be. oh yeah absolutely okay so i was gonna be like that you made up a toast and then they made up a different toast that sounded the same but no you you taught tried to teach no. them something real and then they uh transmogrified they it skunk. as children do um yes in a very cute way yeah well i mean that's the only way they can do it because it's really sort of a survival tactic on their part i think 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or at least a... So that we don't eat them, because otherwise we probably would. All right, this is not the Jonathan Swift podcast. Isn't it, though? I mean, like, don't <laughs> make me bring up Ireland and tell you about the church I went to that had Jonathan Swift's face. Literally Jonathan Swift's entire face in stone above a doorway. <laughs> it was like the most freaked out I've ever been by a monument to a writer I like. Um, I, I do want it publicly known that I was not the first one to say the word Ireland. <laughs> uh, I'm like borderline tempted to make this one of the rules that Ethan is forbidden from talking about Ireland, but I don't want to lose every single episode. It'll come. I mean, I lost the last entire set of episodes, which is what happens when you lose an episode four. You're losing the entire set. Uh, Yep. But anyway. uh, Anyway. So I asked you, Michael, to read a book that I myself had never read, um, Uh which, to be fair, is something you've done to me. Uh, It's true. I've almost certainly done it to you other times. I can't think of any, but I'm sure I have. Mm. Uh, uh, our wiki would reveal... What's that? Um, our, our wiki will, will tell us yes, which yes, ones. The extremely yeah. dedicated Michael and Ethan uh, wiki page that exists. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I, the, the last one I can remember... <laughs> Is you just picking, uh, oh my gosh, see the cover of the book, Gail Carriger, the first... Um, oh, um, Solace. Solace. You picking Solace off a shelf based on the cover. Uh, yep. Which isn't exactly what I did, but it, it seems parallel that I, mean, I just with... picked a book I had never read based on it being an author that I liked. Sure. I mean, Ball Lightning was a similar one for me, too. Like, oh, that's right. I want this sort of book. I have heard of this author, so sure. That's... Yeah, that's probably a closer parallel. Uh, mm-hmm. But either way, um, yeah, yeah. So this one we sort of went into blind, um, totally blind, uh, and and came out of it blind. I mean. <laughs> what's what's the show <laughs> wasn't there like a pbs show back in the day where they like time traveled into not time traveled but like the equivalent of time traveled into books and i'm not talking about wishbone unless mm. i am talking about wishbone that's immediately where okay. my brain went maybe but... i'm just talking about wishbone and i'm confusing it with some other show but what I, I i guess it works for the joke i was going to do that i've now completely just you know uh ruined but explained into oblivion. Yeah, but uh, if we had wishboned into this book, we would have come out of it blind. Got it. Yes. And also, yes, we would. Have. Also, wishbone would be like an undead talking head on a pike, uh, uh-huh. which is, I assume, is where like what character they would have chosen to make him. Right. Uh, right. Anyway. Um. I have several, like, just sort of broad sweeping things to say about this book. 
Uh, okay. But Go for it. no, I'm not going to because oh, okay. you are my All guest, right. and I want to give you a chance yes. to say any broad sweeping things, or indeed very specific things, or otherwise. I can't think of what other category there would be than those two, but... Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> there's only very large or very small. There's nothing else. There's nothing in between. <laughs> um, but yeah, Michael, like okay. first impressions, things that jumped out at you or that you just wanted to say as framing devices, uh, what do you sure. got? Um, the answer is well, I wanna... nothing, that's also fine. It's not exactly nothing. Um, <laughs> that was this is that was intriguing... a goad. That was me goading you. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I, I I appreciate the goad. I I'll take that with me. You always do. Now where I go, I'll take the goad with me. Um, no. Okay. So the the book itself. I I don't want to give away like ratings. Or wait, anything, wait, wait. This is going to kind of key into where my ratings. Speaking yeah. of giving away. We need to let the gentle listener oh. read the book. How could we be we so thoughtless? It was a good host to I you, know. but not to our millions troll. of podcast subscribers. I know. Um, what else is new? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, friends, go read this book. All right, friends, you read the book. Uh, we're not. We're still not giving anything away. So, Michael, please continue. Right. Now you're blind, so it's okay, um, because we're an audio medium. I didn't say which phone this book. But you're right. I'm actually pretty okay with that, because, yeah, it doesn't yeah. affect our downloads. Right. Might increase them, in fact. Uh, it's true. It's true. Because people need more audio content, and yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I, I want to say maybe a couple of things about in general and i i want to avoid this is this is maybe the trick uh of this podcast in general because we do ratings at the end of the second right. episode but when we introduce the book it's always tempting to start with a rating sure um and so i'm gonna try not to start with a rating because i don't want to start with a rating well and I, sometimes anyway i don't know if your experience is the same sometimes my rating sort of evolves over the course of a discussion that's yeah, exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to make my rating concrete because it might be different by the. But end. I mean, it's it's um, kind of okay to to say where you are at at the beginning because of that too. Sure. Not that I'm until until it yeah. you know mutates through the the radioactivity of the book itself, <laughs> um, and comes out something different. Anyway, uh, so okay, the, it's it, it's a book about the King Arthur legend. Right. Right. Um, which, uh, I read the afterword to the book, um, where, um, Lavi Tidhar, I'm not sure how to pronounce That's how I name. pronounce it. Lavi Tidhar? Yeah, Lavi Tidhar, and I have no idea if that's correct, that's just me making no. a judgment call, but... Um, sure. But anyway, he, he kind of traces the idea of where the Arthurian romance uh comes from and how it developed through the years and it's it's almost an apologetic for why he can write the way he did sure. in this arthurian romance right that um uh, i i heard this about uh, monty python and the holy grail once that um there was a general um outcry perhaps boycott of the film when it came out but it wasn't because of any blasphemous content 
it was because it insulted the Arthurian legend, which was so near and dear to the English heart. Well, and um, not to... and it, I, I wondered if this was in the same vein as that, and like the apologetic in the afterward was maybe um, saying you can't be mad at me <laughs> because this is developed over centuries and, and sure. so forth. I don't. I. Um, and this may be sort of outside knowledge in the sense that I've read other of uh, this author's books and also just like sure. nonfiction essays and stuff he's written about his own work and other people's work. I strongly suspect he is just fine with outraging people. Um, I sure. don't think he sets out to do that like as as an end goal, as an end in itself. But sure. I think that... But it's an okay side of Yeah, I think that he sets out... Uh, I mean, the, the trite phrasing would be to tell the truth. And he thinks that if in telling the truth, mm. some people are angered, that's fine. In fact, he, he strikes me as part of the, the like genre of writer or style of writer who like almost doesn't feel like he's doing his job if he hasn't offended someone. Um, now, sure. that's not me There's... quoting or paraphrasing anything that I know of that he's said or written. It's just the sense I get. The feel. Yeah. I, from just this book, and I haven't read anything else by him, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, just the style of his writing. Is, yeah. Um, I don't want to say in your face, but I'm not at this moment thinking of a better phrase blunt for is it. a word that comes to mind blunt yeah blunt it's it's a very blunt style sure um and uh i know there's a quote out there i can remember that i heard it in high school that um essentially to the effect of the value of offending someone because when you offend someone then you've started the discussion um <laughs> And it's it's something valuable in and of itself that way. And so, I mean, this could come from that sort of school of thought, I guess. I don't know if there's a school, quote unquote, of that sure. thought. It's a metaphorical school. Anyway, um, but OK, so this that that's all to say that the Arthurian legend that this book contains is not exactly what you're familiar with from, uh, you know, Disney's The Sword in the Stone. Sure. Um, but it has a lot of recognizable things. Um, you know, it's got Arthur, it's got Guinevere, it's got Lancelot, it's got Merlin, it's got Morgan Le Fay, it's got the quest for the Holy Grail, all all these things um, that uh, that you're familiar with. Um, I In college, I read T.H. Uh, White's The Once and Future right. King, um, and there are a lot of things that are similar uh, in, in that vein as well. Did you provoke um, the the questing beast yeah. thing that that was in there? Is uh, I mean that seems like it's pulled straight out of there and just mutated. Well, I mean the questing beast um, goes back to a lot of those much yeah older medieval oh, sources. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, the way that it's used and almost the way that it like crops mm -hmm. up almost out of left field mm -hmm. a bunch of times. Uh, right, like exactly. You're still that's, surprised that's by it I mean. the fourth time that it appears, even though by virtue of it being the fourth time, you maybe shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's that's maybe one of the most masterful things of it, that it can surprise you in uh, some very satisfying yeah. ways um, with that. I, I mean, that's maybe the prime example of it, that questing <laughs> beast. Um, it comes out in what's part one um, with uh, Uther. 
Uh, yeah. Is it is it right there in part one? It's either part one, one um, or like right away in part two. I don't remember. And this is yeah, a it's very early 400 on. page book in 18 parts. So either way, that's pretty early. Um, yeah. And I mean, the interesting thing about it, and this is going to foreshadow, I guess, some of the other things I'll have to say about this, but it, um, the way it's written in the original way that Merlin extracts it from whichever night it is i should probably know this but uh, yeah, Pelinor. of course um the way it's the way it's written it could be this very ethereal or like like if you're writing yeah. certain modes that that one could be writing in that tidhar proves not to be writing in it could be this very ambiguous thing where it's like you could be describing something relatively materialistic, but describing it in very mystical terms. Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason it comes out of left field is it, when it when it reappears. I think the first time it reappears is is like bounding down this alley with Arthur and his his friends. Is like most of the matter yeah. of the book up to that point could be a very slightly exaggerated form of theoretical realism um sure so up to Absolutely. that point it could be like and maybe there's there's probably one or and... two indicators or foreshadows before that but up to that point for the most part this book could be uh a historical novel that makes a lot of extrapolations um yes it, it and it it, it kind of um exponentially grows out of that into something yeah. different and like that questing beast when it appears it's um almost like a lovecraftian yes. horror that just appears on the scene you know it's a shot yeah. off yeah very much so. <laughs> that that creeps down and in and, a sense um, um that is foreshadowing of what the book grows into um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the same sense that like and that's that's something that's really really interesting that this book does is the foreshadowing just in tone yeah. um I did find where it comes from. It's uh, part one, chapter 12, yes. where the questing beast starts. And it's not called the questing beast there. Is it ever called the questing beast? I think it is at some point or something very close to at it. At some point? Okay. I think Pelinor calls like, it that. I, we, uh, we eventually understand what it is yeah. anyway. No, but, that, that's um, an interesting point, it's though, not because there. even if it's not, like, we still understand it from some of these Arthurian preconceptions that yeah. we have. Um. I think yeah. at some point, though, Pelinor describes it in terms of, like, the beast that is my quest or something like that. I'm not positive about that, though. So, the, Right, those words beast and quest are put together in some... Yeah, even in, even in this original passage, the beast hisses in contempt at Merlin and leaps into Pelinor's arms. Um, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. a beast from, from the get, but... Yeah, and yeah, it's it, and that's that's what it's described. The beast, the beast, the beast. It's yeah. all over in in that, that whether section. where where um, where and when and whether that term questing comes in would be the major issue. That's the yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it starts there, and the whole of part one, which reads like a prologue, and effectively is a prologue to Arthur. Um, I'll talk about that in maybe a second here um is well each part is almost its own semi genre yeah, yeah. um it ch it changes bit by bit the first part is 
um, right along the lines of almost high fantasy um, or close. It's maybe as close to high fantasy as as the book gets. I would, would, uh, Uh, and this, hopefully this doesn't sound super nitpicky, but I would call it closer to sword and sorcery. Um, That's that's what I mean, yes. Because classically, and this is very much a nerd distinction, but... High fantasy is your Lord yep. of the Rings that's very grandiose and the, yep. the morals and the values are very uh, mm-hmm. transcendent, transcendental. Like, your quest is to save the world. Sword and Sorcery is like, it takes place in a similar world. There's magic and there's wizards and yep. stuff. But your heroes are more like con artists and other people who are sort of... Uh, their their aims mm-hmm. are much lower on a moral gradient. Right, I mean Conan the Barbarian is maybe sword exactly it's the epitome right there. Uh, the Ur Ur example, yeah. yes. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So like it starts there, and then all of a sudden the 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 magical aspect falls into the background, starting in part two there, and then grows a bit yeah. more as it goes on. Um, well, I think I th- I think so. and I think that's because I think is part two. Oof, I should have made better notes. Part two honestly, is page fifty-three, Lords of Londinium. Yeah, but just as far as what the action is, is this? Uh, that's yeah, this Arthur is when, like, and his his like friends. gang of motley yeah. street yeah. boys. Okay, can um, I get? Yeah, and I think. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think uh, at some point late, maybe in part two, is when the questing beast again like mm-hmm. bounds past you or whatever. But you're right. But you don't. Up until you don't then, it's very much a tie the two and two together necessarily. There. I mean, I did. did I don't. You're I smart. don't. Um. <laughs> I mean, just I don't even know that I'm smart. It was just like this is out of left field. Oh, it connects back with that last out of left field thing. Sure. Sure. Um. So. It, well, I guess my my point in general there is that like. It comes out of left field in such a way that you can accept it, and yeah. just and let it be a mystery, and it doesn't ruin the book. Yeah, for it to just be yeah, a mystery. Absolutely. Point. Yeah, I think, um, and I think like this is important to say here because it will underpin a lot of what I suspect we'll both have to say, which is that in this book, Lavi Tidhar is is the juggler who's juggling like 12 rings yes right and he has to keep all 12 of them in the air well the illusion of all 12 of them in the air at a given time uh and if any one of them sort of wobbles and falls out of out of true almost the whole thing comes collapsing down on him yeah um and we can start because like to say any more about that for me would be committing the sin you started out trying not to commit which is giving away what my rating is yeah uh but that said like how i i think that how much you like the book or how good you think the book is is directly correlated to how well you think he did the literary equivalent of keeping 12 rings in the air at a time sure that's definitely a huge factor in it because I, yeah. Well, it, just the and, ambition of saying I'm going to write the Arthur legend, right? Um. <laughs> uh, and analogously, I do mean that in the sense that, like, a lot of fantasy authors are trying to keep three rings in the air yeah. or four. Mm-hmm. Like, 
he's doing and 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 you're right it's voluntarily and in a way that he doesn't have to do in any sense of the word mm-hmm. uh he's he's trying to do 300 percent more than a lot of authors even in this genre even in the genre of like arthurian fantasy right try to do yeah and that that's maybe um a... oh and sorry what i was gonna say was your evaluation of this book will be directly correlated to your evaluation of how well he does that yes yes i agree not you michael not you me generally but the, the list i mean also you but you as part of a more a general collective that includes me also oh so when you say so you you mean how... me and also me how <laughs> me evaluate this how me evaluate yeah. <laughs> um, yes. new new title of our podcast how me evaluate it's just called how me evaluate <laughs> i like it <laughs> yeah um so okay th- this touches on a a, a question slash point slash observation um that the overarching plot uh of the book is is uh a discussion point i guess um each part itself stands more or less on its own i mean we talked about how they they jump genres and i think i want to talk more about that as we go but each part is also pretty independent of the rest um each part has its own main character um Mm -hmm. and so that's something as i was reaching the end of the book i was trying to think who is this about and i think there's a case that it's about merlin um he's maybe one of the most constant characters um in a in an ancillary way it's about pelinor um but that's i guess only in a tangential manner i guess well my like english professor problematizing yes please that that assertion that each part has a separate main character would be to say does each part have a separate viewpoint character and the same main character because some do okay so viewpoint character okay, changes well, some do have the same what, main character and some don't no okay what i'm saying is yeah there's an argument okay. to be made um and i'm personally not sure i'm making this argument mm. but there's an argument you could make that the main character of every section is the same Mm -hmm. and it's arthur okay and that that includes sections where it seems like merlin is the main character it includes sections where arthur is off stage entirely um yeah you know it includes sections where like arthur arthur to the the physical action of the plot of the section it arthur is like a tangential character you could argue that arthur is the main character of all of these sections Mm -hmm. um but to argue that you would have to answer the question of who or what is arthur sure um and Um, i would argue that arthur is less of a character in terms of (sighs) I don't want to say like three dimensional 
or two dimensional or whatever, but like sure. you know, having a character. You could just say character. He's not. He's less of a character, and more of a MacGuffin. <laughs> in this book, I expected you to say idea at the end of the sentence, and I'm so happy and glad <laughs> that you surprised me with the word MacGuffin. I am happy to have surprised you with that word as well. Um, <laughs> Because I don't think you're wrong, or I don't think that that's a bad assertion or or argument, but it's definitely not what I was expecting. Sure, sure. Um, that that okay. So Arthur, here here's part of what I why I think that about Arthur. I think sure. Arthur is the most character that he is in part two in Lords of Londinium, and this is a young sure. Arthur. Um, when he's running around with his, his friends in London or Londinium and, um, you know, he's just robbing and, um, it's still not even from his perspective. It's from Kay's perspective. Kay is observing Arthur, but even there, um, like he sees some depth to Arthur and how, um, um, Arthur is... What's the word I'm looking for? He's closed off. He's he's not uh, accessible or um, he's austere. Austere, sure. Um, yeah. Mystical, almost. Yeah, yeah. He 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 seems to to know or to seek something that no one can understand, which makes him interesting. Or the K. Or K or can't K understand. can't understand. Well, but okay, yeah, yes, I agree with you that it's that K can't understand. But my point there is that because K is the viewpoint character in this part, right. no one can understand it. Um, okay, sure. And uh, it 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 makes Arthur interesting and sure pursuable. As later parts come up. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it comes in. It's actually later in the book where you get the the hint of this whole chess game of the Fae mm-hmm. um, right. and like which ruler are they backing have... and such. And Arthur is just one of the gladiators in this right. cosmic. You have some Coliseum. foreshadowing of that. Sure. Yeah. In 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 some of the earlier sections, maybe not as early as part two, but certainly in some three four five somewhere like you have some foreshadowing of that mm-hmm. um yeah but it doesn't it the extent of it or the scope of it doesn't reveal itself until until later right and that's um, that scope like it, it it broadens so you get like this yeah. hint of something is bigger in part one and then you're really narrow in part two but with some of those hints again and it then just broadens and broadens and broadens in scope Something that I was interesting about all of that with this, like, fairy, not court exactly, but close, um, that's going on. I mean, it's like, like, it's, it's, it, I'll be honest, most of the the contact with, like, fairy legends and and myths and things that I have are from Neil Gaiman. Um, So it, it seemed very similar to a lot of Neil Gaiman stuff when that was coming through uh in there yeah um and that just that that idea that you know the the fey are behind it but we don't fully understand it just communicates some of the alienness uh of uh those those fey and um a lot of that is never fully resolved like what's their motive what do they actually get out of all of this 
What are they trying sure. to accomplish? Um, and by the so, end, it seems like whatever they're trying to accomplish doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, sure. That's an interesting point. Um, there's several things that you've just said that I, I want to go back to, but okay. uh, one of them is an essay. There's an essay that Lavi Tidhar wrote mm. for, I believe, for the website Tor.com. Hmm. Um like in the manner of like a blog post mm -hmm. uh, that maybe a good editor would uh, go back and find potentially before maybe this recording, at least but certainly link to the show notes. Yeah. After this recording and link it in the show notes. Um, and I'll send it to you if I am a good editor. So, you know, a uh, pretty low percentage chance, but uh, this, this essay, as I remember it, Lavi Tidhar was talking about Philip K. Dick and saying uh -huh. that um, Philip Dick was one of Tidhar's own, like, like baseline or like just just chief influences, right? Yeah. And he said Philip Dick's thing, like the thing that he did in all of his stories and novels, is he took a character who was caught up in events that the character didn't understand, um, but he would only tell the story from that character's point of view which meant that mm. you've got a lot of things in the course of a story. And I've read six or eight Philip K. Dick novels, and I've read a few of his short stories, and this rang true through all of them. You'd have a viewpoint character... Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Uh, you'd have a viewpoint character caught up in a mess that the character didn't understand, but you'd only get the things that the character could see. Sure. So, like, there'd be a mystery implied or yes. even a mystery like laid out for you. Um, the two like prime examples of this that I can think of off the top of my head are A Scanner Darkly, which of course has resonance with, mm. you know, St. Paul's We See Through a Glass Dimly. Mm -hmm. um, and also uh, Flow My Tears, the policeman said, um, those like those are two like examples of this that I can think of again mm -hmm. off the top of my head, uh, and you both of those have characters again caught up in mysteries that unlike in most or I'm tempted to say maybe not all but in most Gene Wolfe novels there's enough clues in the text to solve the mystery in a Philip K Dick novel there aren't necessarily and that's sure it, like the sort of the point or sort of you solving the mystery is not the point mm -hmm. um mm. same thing from two different directions that that relates uh, to something that we've talked about before here that the things that matter to the character aren't necessarily yes. the things that matter to the reader yes um, which is like your classical and i still say completely valid take on the hunger games and yeah. other other texts mm -hmm. um yeah, exactly. And I think, like, the fairy court thing was not the only place, but it's definitely one of the places in this book that I could see that Philip K. Dick influence coming through. Sure. Whereas, like, oh, yes, there's, like, implied there's, like, a set of rules or a set of laws, mm -hmm. depending on in whichever definition of law you want to use. Yeah. Um, that comes through here uh you know that's like 
it, it's it's implied it's in the text, but you couldn't extrapolate the whole thing out of the text. Right. Um, and it's another one of those rings that Tidhar keeps in the air mm-hmm. that, like, if if it wobbles for just a second, like, potentially the whole thing falls apart. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's very much a risk he takes, but it's definitely an intentional risk and not, like, a you know, byproduct of lazy writing or something like that. Right. Which is not what I thought you were saying, but like, no, you know, that's something that so, like people, people get to Philip K. Dick novels and they often, I've heard people say like, oh, it seems like a national novel writing month novel that never got revised, like a very brilliant first draft that needed fleshing out. And I'm sure, you know, some Philip K. Dick novels he probably wrote at speed for a paycheck, and it's be fair to say that about them, but, like, a lot of them, it's like, no, you just missed what the novel was about. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so, um, the other, the, the other broad thing I want to mention here Sure. And I don't know how big it is. We might take it into the second episode too. Um, sure. The, this comes out of we 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 often talk about the the secret third episode that we have <laughs> um, on this show. We we almost had a secret zeroth episode on this sure. um, podcast. You were talking about a, a movie. Um, yes. That uh, that reminded you. Oh, I'm shocked you. that you're the one bringing this up but go ahead um well i i I didn't see the movie but what it what it connects with for me is this genre hopping from part to part and something that i did uh, not on every part but on a few of them um each part has its own title so part one is the rise and fall of uther pendragon um yeah part two is lords of londinium um so i i started retitling some of these um just on the on the page that has the because the whole part one is its own like splash page and then you've got the text on the following um page um so the rise and fall of uther pendragon i wrote macbeth um in there yeah um lords of londinium i wrote outsiders and newsies um (laughs) in there (laughs) Um, oh okay uh, can we pause this just briefly for me to yes. say the other thing that I thought? I think it's very interesting that you thought Arthur was the most real character in the section that you thought was the most, like, historical fiction yes, rather than fantasy or, or whatever. That, so, no, that's, that's something that's interesting to me, too. And yeah. it feels like a choice. Yeah. Um. And and I have yeah. I have other thoughts on why that might be, but I I legitimately want to get back to your train of thought before we sure. go to hour and a half off the rails. That's okay. Um, I did not uh, retitle part three, four, or five, but part six is the Choir of Angels, and I retitle it the Choir of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> sure. uh, part seven is Knight Errant, and I just wrote a samurai movie underneath it. Right. Yep. Um. Let me see. I didn't do eight or uh, oh, part nine is the wedding, and I retitled it the Red Wedding. Right, of course. Um, of course. Um, 
Uh, part 10 is the Golden Age, and I retitled it the Golden Age Fallacy. <laughs> um, I didn't do 11. I'm, I, this, this, my titles aren't the point. I didn't do 12. But... Um, Death I mean, Martyr. they're very much the point for me right now. Okay, they're they're okay. You want to know what they are? I, I don't think I did the rest. Um, no, sure. I didn't do through fourteen because um, there are fourteen parts in it, um, and I didn't do all of them. But those are the ones that I did. Point being, um, right. I, I like those are some just impressions that I got from those parts. That this is sure. more or less like in line with the genre and the the um, general atmosphere of those parts but it's tied in with the genre hopping that each part is itself something completely different it's it's something new and almost like um the uh the marvel movies where you've got this um you know iron man is this you know tech modern almost pseudo real world yeah thing and then you've got um you know thor which is a fantasy movie and you've got captain america which is a, a war movie and then you the first one love all those genres then... together into um the first captain uh, america Avengers. is a war movie and then the second yeah. one is a spy movie spy like yeah exactly i mean like the the marvel movies themselves jumping all muscles. these genres but then in the avengers movies themselves they lump them all together and get this climax right. together which this book is almost doing that without quite the exact um thing oh wait there was one um the last battle which one which part was called the last battle um, the second part 13 yeah 13, part 13 yeah. is the second to last it's called the last battle um, and there were reasons that I retitled it The Last Battle of Five Armies. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it just even with it, within that that part is where Pelinor and Merlin have a conversation. They're sitting on a hill watching the fight, having a conversation, which is very much like, you know, towards the end of The Hobbit. Right. Um, there where the, the battle is happening and it's like, what's going on? <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So that that's that's uh, an impression I had overall, and and you brought that up with a, a movie that tied in with this, you know, a surreal sort of entrance into the other. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that world at more length later. Uh, sure. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to do with this part exactly. I think that's okay. Um. Well, or we can just bring it up now. Uh, sure. So I just uh, I have since seen the movie. Um, for context that no one wants, including you, Michael, <laughs> but I'm giving it anyway. I uh have a like Zoom book discussion group that's sort of besides ours. <gasps> Well, we're a Google Meet slash make a podcast discussion group. Oh, okay. So that fulfills this slot and you're not betrayed. Um, sure. But this is a Zoom book discussion group. Uh, and the brief description of it would be like liberal leaning religious philosophy, except I did at the time of this recording just convince them to read Walker Percy's Lost in the Cosmos. Nice. Um, so 
that'll be it'll be interesting. Like it's a really great group. Have have you given um, their, them our podcast as homework? Because I gave I it came out that I had a podcast because I was gotten into this group by a coworker where I work, and mm-hmm. he had listened to my podcast because in an unguarded moment I told him I had one. Uh, and so oh, the shame! Yeah, it's been mentioned, but like. I mean, Lost in the Cosmos was, like, one of our first five, and I'm, like, mm-hmm. not because of any negative reviews by people who didn't really understand the podcast, but from my own merits, I'm, like, I don't know if I want people to listen to that one, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, that's why, no. And also... I mean, this may be nothing to do with that and all to do with the fact that, like, I'm so... I'm Scandinavian and I'm from the upper Midwest, so I'm, like, the worst, like, self-promoter in the world. Um, (laughs) Like, Lavi Tidhar, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Uh, And I probably didn't do it. Probably Michael tweeted at you, though maybe I'll tweet at you. I don't know. But anyway, like... It's very embarrassing if you are listening to this, uh, but I hope you like it. Anyway, um, I'm not going to insult you the way I did Neil Gaiman, who I'm pretty sure is mad at us forever. But uh, uh, that said, um, so as I was reading uh, By Force Alone for this podcast, just forced your microphone off the table i did i got my microphone to dive off the table by force alone Uh (laughs) well now i have to keep this in i was gonna just edit around it but here we are anyway um as as i was reading by force alone for this podcast uh the film stalker came up in this religious uh religious philosophy discussion group that i'm in um and uh the person in the group who at that time had seen this movie uh we've all seen it since it's like our next discussion thing actually um he started summarizing stalker i think i had actually just finished by force alone and i was like Mm. wait did Tarkovsky in 1979 make a movie about the end of this book that came out in 2020? (laughs) Uh, So, Michael, I'm going to just read you not the whole plot synopsis from Wikipedia, but, like, a brief version of it, and I'm going to see what you think of it. I don't want to prejudice you or the gentle listener by saying any more than that. Okay. So, Stalker, 1979, uh... Uh, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, a famous, you know, Russian art film director. In the distant future, the protagonist works in an unnamed location as a stalker, leading people through the zone, an area in which the normal laws of physics do not apply, and remnants of seemingly extraterrestrial activity lie undisturbed amongst its ruins. The zone contains a place called The Room, said to grant the wishes of anyone who steps inside. The area containing the zone is shrouded in secrecy, sealed off by the government, and surrounded by ominous hazards. 
that's really all of the the plot that I want to read. The rest of it kind of goes too into the weeds. Does that remind you of anything, Michael? Um, yeah, it reminds me of which part? Part eleven? Is that eleven? That, uh... Yeah. Again, if I'd been a good like podcast the Grail host, I would be. I would have marked it. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. Of course, it was the Grail. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it sounds exactly like that. Um, also, like um, it's a Natalie Portman movie that came out in the last um, like half a decade or so. What's that movie? Annihilation. Annihilation. Thank I, you. I have not seen the movie, but I did read. There's a trilogy of science fiction novels that uh, is. Uh, I should know this. Um, the trilogy is like Annihilation and then two other things that are like okay. alliterative with Annihilation. Mm. The third one is Acceptance. Um, okay. So it's not alliterative, it's assonantic. Thank you, yes. Uh, I knew if I got it wrong, you would correct me. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the trilogy is called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Um, mm. The books are... Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance. Um, and I did read this the whole trilogy a few years ago. And then my first thought when I finished watching Stalker was like, I could have saved myself a lot of time reading if I'd known this was just Stalker in America. Um, <laughs> but other other like critics that I've read have like, caught both stalker references and southern reach references in this section and sure uh, i'm you know i haven't read southern reach recently enough to know if there's some distinct ones so it the the two southern reach and stalker are very similar conceptually Um, yeah i'm certainly not saying jeff vandermeer the author of the southern reach trilogy like i'm not saying he just plagiarized or anything like that uh well i think yeah it's and like it's it's a it's a thing like even if you didn't know the existence of the um pre-existing thing um it's it's a concept that's so i don't want to say simple but simple that like it 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 works i mean yeah you, you can adapt it to pretty much any purpose that like here's an area of the earth that doesn't act like the rest of earth right and you have to go into it and there are special people that yep. like can take you into it yeah it, I, like, if, if you want to push it it's it's the trip into the underworld in the odyssey yeah absolutely um it you know like I, or which it, is or also with orpheus like here's here's just a, a random rule that doesn't make any sense for the real world you can't look backwards right. if you do everything falls apart Right. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's also Dante's Inferno, and it's also, yeah. you know, any number of other... It's also, like, one of the most striking sequences from the film Parasite. Um, it's mm. like, you know, it. yeah, it shows up everywhere. Like, it's it's one of those things like a quest to destroy a, a magical artifact that's evil. Like, 
you can't really right. inherently fault anyone for using that as their story thing. No, not um, at all. Now, however, uh, my my friend who talked about it in our religious philosophy book club also connected it to several themes, and that was what actually like made me awestruck. Was cool. the themes he connected it to this movie, Stalker specifically? The themes he connected it to, I was like. Those are also the themes of By Force Alone. Nice. Um, and I think, Michael, unless you have anything really pressing to say, I think we're going to leave that dangling <laughs> uh, like a cat toy in front of the gentle listener who is apparently also a cat uh, uh-huh. for now um, and pick up that thread next week, two weeks from now. Love it. I know how often our podcast comes out, two to three weeks from now. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Did you have any last things you want to say desperately right now, Michael? Not right now. It can all wait. Perfect. So, gentle listener, thank you for joining us on this uh quest. Um, for jo- if I'd been a good podcast host, I would have just written a conclusion and said, "Thank you for joining these two beasts on our quest." Um, Ooh. Yeah, which would be would have been a good thing to think of the first time. It anyway, would have. It would have, if only. Just just join us on our uh part our part two of our discussion of By Force Alone by Lavi Tidhar. Uh, it will be good, and you've already read the book at the beginning of this episode, so that's great. Uh, you don't have any homework to do for this one. Um, please uh feel free to give us your feedback. Go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org. Put Scotch Talk in the subject line. Uh, we are at Room with Scotch on Twitter. I am at Bjartlet on Twitter. That's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Michael, are you on Twitter? I am at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Excellent. Um, if you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. Uh, there's Intermission. There's Us Play Fiasco. There's Freddy Goes to a Podcast. There's Pokemon Rollout. Um, they are all very good. Uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we don't pay to advertise, so that's how others can learn about us and enjoy the things you enjoy. Michael, is there anything uh-huh. you'd like to promote or say at this time that Not I missed? Not at this time. Nope. Brilliant. You got it all. So that's that said, just remember, uh, it's our party, and we'll cry if the grail doesn't fulfill our wishes. Ooh. Okay, thanks. We love you. Bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.